Now, Sunday, the Ontario government, and I talked about this yesterday, revealed new details on the scale of the ongoing COVID-19 disaster in the province's long-term care homes. The Star had an excellent column on this because they have been following the data quite closely and trying to illustrate how big of a problem is that this is. Um, According to the data, nearly 180 outbreaks in seniors' homes from Windsor to Cornwall to date. Four facilities with more than 106 100 sick residents, five with more than 20 dead in Toronto alone. And in Ontario's worst outbreak at the Orchard Villa long-term care home in Pickering, 43 are now dead. And fully, according to the Toronto Star yesterday, more uh, 10 more fatal cases than had been public just the previous day. Laura Tamblin-Watts, the CEO of Seniors Advocacy Group, CanAge, she joins the show right now. Laura, welcome to the program. Good morning. I wish we were talking under different circumstances, but for people who aren't familiar, what exactly is CanAge and what does it do? So CanAge is a national seniors advocacy organization. We work across the country to raise awareness about issues affecting seniors and try to make them better. All right. So there's criticism that Ontario's official data has been vastly underreporting the true scale of the cases of deaths in senior homes with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. What's your reaction to the newly released data on the state of our long term uh, care homes? Yeah, that data is probably underestimating it, too. But I think it's closer to actually what we're seeing. I mean, part of it is that when we have had deaths in long-term care, unless they were tested and confirmed as COVID deaths, they weren't counted. And because they were using the old flu protocols, they were only testing typically up to three residents per long-term care home. After the third residence, it was sort of assumed that most people had it and they didn't do any more testing. So as a result, we've got about a month back where we have had many deaths in long-term care home that were for something like respiratory illnesses or natural causes, but they would not have been included as a COVID death. So Quebec just changed that. Now they're calling anything that's presumptively COVID a COVID death. In Canada, our statistics are still quite underestimated. I know that the, these facilities can be run by either public or for-profit operators. Would there be... Um, a, a kind of uh, an incentive to keep it the way it is for uh, when you're talking about for-profit operators, because the last thing you want is people to be aware of the fact that you can't contain an outbreak. I mean, it's bad for business. And I don't mean to put it down into business sense, but these people are running a business. You know, when we look at how the differences are between for-profit and not-for-profit, certainly there are those people who criticize the for-profit chains. Um, and you will see that the ones that had a significant outbreak were more non, uh, more for-profit chains as well. But having said that, there's, there's some wonderful for-profit chains. There's some wonderful not-for-profit chains. The problem is really that we have no profound standards across this country for how we have to do the care provision. And so that when things get tight, you know, it comes from somewhere. The question is, do you want to have a for-profit entity that's trying to make a financial dividend at the Mm -hmm. cost of someone's care? Do you find that unusual that a system this big and this important didn't have a, a standard? 
You know, we have been saying that long-term care needs to have national standards for years now, and we're certainly not alone in that. We've had report after report in this country about the need for reform in long-term care. And as recently as the wet lawfer inquiry, which had 4,000 pages of recommendations for changes in long-term care, what we haven't had is action. And so while we have legislation in each province, there are no care ratios, there's no staffing requirements, except in Ontario, there must be one registered nurse per long-term care home on at all times. Only one. And so we see care support workers often, in some cases, having to take care upwards of 20, 30, or 40 residents at a time. It's unsustainable. So our systems were very challenged before COVID. And then once it came into COVID, it really showed how desperate we are. So, I mean, when you hear what you're talking about here, it it to me what it exposes is that people just i mean elderly people are just not top of mind they're just i mean when it comes to actually putting together uh systems and businesses to to bring you uh comfortably to you know to the end of your life you're just going to be kind of left up to somebody's whims on what they think you need we know that we make choices about things with healthcare dollars. And what we were really shocked about is to see the Chief Medical Officer of Health in Ontario, David Williams, say in press conferences time and time again that we didn't need personal protective equipment in long-term care, that we didn't need increased testing in long-term care. And it was sort of unbelievable because of course we knew that that was going to be Canada's most vulnerable population that's certainly borne out and if you look at the the way that Ontario handled it as compared to say British Columbia you see a very different picture in British Columbia which had the first outbreak Dr. Bonnie Henry who was the chief medical officer of health here in British Columbia took active steps made sure that there was the personal protective equipment, increased testing, limited visitors, and made sure that staff only worked in one place, providing also financial top-up. As a result, the outbreak in British Columbia is much more minimal. But in Ontario and Quebec, those actions weren't taken. But what it exposes underneath is that we have not done the work to make sure that our end-of-life and late-life care is safe, is robust, and is a place where people can age gracefully. So, no, what you're seeing is institutional ageism. It, it's incredible to me because it does this is this because policymakers figure, well, these people aren't going to vote as much as as they used to. I mean, to me, it, it's it's illogical. Actually, seniors overwhelmingly are the the biggest voters. About 72% of all seniors vote, including in long-term care homes. In fact, many voting. Hmm are actually in long-term care homes. It really has been in the end that we have not taken care of older adults and people in vulnerable need the way that we need to. And where we have seen protective measures been put in place, the outcomes are better. And where we have seen not, our outcomes now have the military coming in to provide support. How much more stark can we be than seeing our Canadian soldiers trying to help support and feed 
residents of long-term care. We're grateful for the help, but this is by no means sustainable, and we never should have gotten here to begin with. Laura, I want to ask you about uh, this. A listener called in yesterday. We were talking about the the data that was released uh, by the province, and uh, he had a frightening story where his wife is an RN, and she was asked to go help out in a long-term care home. And she basically subbed in for a day. Uh, I think it was a day or two. And she came after day two. She said, I, I can't do it because she was worried about her health and safety because she saw some frightening scenarios where um, workers were reusing disposable items. Like the um, when you uh, take a temperature with the ear, you're supposed to get rid of that little piece that you put onto the um, the thermometer at the end that goes in people's ears. They were reusing that. Also, um, the social distancing, the behavior was questionable. What do you think are the underlying uh, causes of, of scenarios like this? You know, when there are decisions being made about who's going to get the personal protective equipment, in Ontario, there was a decision to stockpile it in acute care settings and to not send it to long-term care. Not to say that we shouldn't have personal protective equipment in acute care settings. We should, but not at the cost of depriving older people and their hero workers of their own well-being. And so when we were actually trying to reach out in March and early April to hair salons and nail salons to beg them to donate masks and gloves because the government wasn't getting the personal protective equipment to long-term care homes. I mean, then we are forced to confront the fact that we have just not valued either the people who are working in long-term care or the people who are living in long-term care. But doesn't it say something about about the people that are working in long-term care that we're just not paying them enough? to get quality, uh, you know, uh, quality uh, service and care. We welcome the increase of $4 an hour. It's a good step in the right direction. That that will only work for 16 weeks. Often the people who are working in long-term care have to work two and three jobs because they can't get full-time hours. And the cost that they get, you know, their pay could be somewhere between sort of $15 and $20 an hour without Mm -hmm. benefits or pensions. You know, so the people who are actually taking care of our most vulnerable older adults are people who are themselves very economically vulnerable. We have people who are trying to reuse garbage bags because they think that something is better than nothing. This is not a failure of the people who work in long-term care homes. This is a failure of government. All right. So I I have about a minute left with you, if that. What needs to be done in the short term to get us through this? Because we are looking at a possibility of a second wave. We need everyone tested in long-term care that works there or lives there, first off. Unless we measure it, we don't know how it actually is moving through our system. So number one, test everyone and test regularly. Number two, we need to make sure that we do have the personal protective equipment there. And it's not a joke. It needs to be there and it needs not to be reused and recycled in the way that you're saying. And the third thing we need to do, and it's not a long-term solution, it's a soon solution. We need to create national standards for things like staffing and infrastructure and how we pay staff in long-term care in this country. And we need to do so soon. Laura, we're about to talk to a lawyer that is taking uh, care of uh, a proposed class action lawsuit against a a long-term care home. Uh, who failed to respond to uh, and neglected someone with COVID-19, allegedly. Um, do you think we're going to see more of these cases? 
yeah, lawsuits are being filed right now. And we've already got, I think, two class action suits that I'm aware of, one in Ontario and one in Quebec. I think we're going to see this on the rise. Um, it's very hard to sue because of one person's death or potential negligence. But when we see the numbers that we've seen right now, I think we are going to see people take this to the courts. And is this where the government will start getting serious on, on making proper policies to take care of people that are older? I mean, I, I think, you know, when it comes to court actions, they tend to be very lengthy and, and take a, a lot of time, energy and resources. I, I think it's inevitable that we will do that. I think that we need to make policy change faster. I am convinced when I see the premier choking up and almost crying during press conferences, speaking of his own experience, that perhaps he will have that motivation to promote change. And I am also excited to see that the prime minister is saying that we need to do this as well. So we have the commitments on record. Let's make sure that we move it into policy change soon. Laura, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk to that lawyer about the class action lawsuit that's been launched here in Ontario against a long-term care home uh, company. 640 Toronto Chopper traffic right now with Richard Martin. Oh, Kelly, we still have problems on the go in town with Park Lawn at the Gardener. A crash, it's blocking uh, two lanes on the northbound side of Park Lawn at the Gardener. So just a heads up if you're heading in towards that area. Otherwise, we are just looking at maintenance for the highways. Maintenance on the go for the 401 eastbound collectors at Nielsen, blocking the left lane. Also for the 401 westbound at Salem, maintenance crews are working in the left lane. And on the 404 northbound at 16th, maintenance in the left lane. Women and children in Canada are fleeing their homes because of increased violence during the lockdown. Support them by providing food, shelter, and counseling with a donation at AuraFreedom.org. I'm Richard Martin with Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, Chopper Traffic.